Wonderful, wonderful. Man, what a great song. As they're making their way to their seats, if you have a little one that would like to go to Children's Church, Miss Kim is ready to receive them. While they're doing that, let me encourage you to take out your copy of God's Word and turn with me to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 6 is where we'll find our text this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 6 uh, is where we will be. Over the next two Sundays, we're doing kind of a little <laughs> mini-series before we dive into uh, uh, working towards Easter and, and simply just entitled the series, Money Matters. The idea that money matters. It matters to the Lord. It should matter to us and how we deal with it. Two of the markers of Christian maturity, two of the markers and the pursuit of one who's following Christ should be sound doctrine and godly living. Those who are pursuing the Lord in their faith should be known by having sound doctrine and godly living. We should be grounded in the knowledge and in the Word of God, and that should affect the way in which we behave or live our lives. We should know what we believe, and we should act on those Believes To quote Ezra 7.10, as the Bible says that Ezra set himself to study the law of the Lord and to teach it and to do it. We should know the word and do the word. In fact, Jesus' half-brother James would tell us, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. We should know right doctrine and we should behave rightly on that Doctrine. In fact, Paul was so concerned about the maturity of the believers throughout the new church, the first century church, that often you'll find him describing their need to grow up. He would write to the church in Corinth and he would say, by now you should be on spiritual meat, but you're still on the milk because you're not mature. The writer of Hebrews would echo Paul by saying, you should be moved on to meat by now. That's sound Doctrine. In fact, Paul would again say to the church at Ephesus, you should be rooted in your faith by now that the winds of doctrine don't toss you to and fro. Brothers and sisters, in every area of our life, we should come under the authority and the rule of the Lord Jesus Christ. What he teaches, what he has instructed, and how we should behave accordingly. And there's not a part of our life where the Lord does not have dominion. When you come to Christ as Savior and Lord, you are declaring to him, I am following you, you and you alone. All of your ways, all of your teaching, all of your word, I want to be like you, Lord Jesus. And this is the testament of following Christ. This is the measurement of godliness. And so every area of our lives should fall under the Lord. And this makes no difference. You pick the topic and the Bible will speak to it. It will tell us how we should do family and marriage. It will talk to us about our vocation. It will talk to us about our disciplines and our hearts. It will describe to us the idea of what we should wear and how we should speak and where we should go and what our priorities should be. There is not an area of our life where Christ should not be in charge. In fact, Abraham Coopers writes it this way. He says, there is not a square inch in the whole dominion of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine, mine. And so for us as believers, as those who are pursuing Christ, we want to be building up in two specific ways. One, we want sound doctrine. We want to know that we know that we know the truth of God's word when it pertains to every area of our lives. And two, we want to act on it or live it out. 
Brothers and sisters, listen carefully now. If we know God's word and we do not act on it, at best it makes us hypocrites and at worst it makes us lying devils. Because if we say we know the word of God and we do not follow it, then we are a walking contradiction or a disobedient follower of Christ. Every area of our lives should fall under the reign of the Lord Jesus. I think I've made my point, so now I move to the text for the day. That includes our wallets. Every area of our lives should fall under the Lord Jesus Christ, including money. Do you know that if you were to survey the words of Jesus, those often in our English Bible are printed in red, if you were to survey the red words of Jesus in the New Testament, you will find that he discusses money in some form or fashion or possessions or material things more than heaven or hell combined. He understood that this will become part of our life, that it will be every waking moment. There's not a day go by that you don't deal with money. It may work something like this. Honey, I need to pay that bill today. Did you pick up that dry cleaning? Do you have any cash? Daddy, can I get some snack money? Son, we can't buy that right now. We've got to wait. Maybe you can ask your grandmother. She's loaded. See if she'll get it for you, right? We deal with money. It's, it's every part of our life. It's everywhere. And Jesus knew this. And so he's not silent about it. Can I tell you something that I just, this is just a complete sidebar that I love about our Lord Jesus Christ. He does not leave any area of our life untouched. The Bible gives us instruction on how to deal with money. I'm thankful that I don't have to figure out what it means to be a Christian and deal with money because the Lord has spoken to this. Money matters. So over the next two weeks, here's what I want to do. Today, I want to give you a word of warning. I want to give you a word of warning concerning monies, concerning the idea of money. And next week, I want to give you a word of wisdom, how you should be proactive with your money. So today is, is watch out, be on your guard, don't go down this road concerning money or material things. And, and next week is here's how we should behave. Here's what it should look like. But before we dive in, I need to make a couple of disclaimers. So, so look up here and just stay with me for just a moment. Number one, God does not need your money. He doesn't need your money. In fact, the psalmist would tell us in Psalms 50, the Lord would say, why would I ask you if I'm hungry? I'm paraphrasing. I have all the beasts of the woods. He does not need your money. Isaiah would tell us he has the cattle on a thousand hills. If he wanted your money, he could empty your bank account while we're in here. Some of you are going to start checking your phone right now, aren't you? It's like, where is it? Where is it? He doesn't need your money. Number two, I don't need your money, and neither does Elkdale. Now, let me be clear about this. Sometimes when pastors preach on money, there are two reasons. One, we're under budget and we can't pay the light bill, right? Or two, we're hoping to stir up more funds because it might get me a raise. So I'm going to let you off the hook here. One, Elkdale is actually in one of the best financial positions we've been in in years. We are debt-free, we have some cushion for emergencies, and we're giving away money to missions like never before. The Lord has blessed us through the faithful giving of brothers and sisters in Christ. And number two, I don't work on commission, all right? So let's give the Lord a hand for that. I don't, I, I don't work on commission. So if you start giving more because of this sermon series, it will not affect my, my income, all right? So don't, don't worry if I show up in a brand new Lexus, right? I'm not, I'm not ripping you off, right? I just, I just uh, inherited some money. Not my family. They're all broke. But anyways, uh, <coughs> the idea is it doesn't fit that. Let me give you another one. And this is the one I want you to hear. Why in the church, when we talk about money, it feels weird? 
I'm going to give you a couple of reasons. One, because there have been wolves who are pastors and preachers that have used greedy gain in order to fleece believing, following, humble believers out of their money. And it's sickening, and it's wrong, and they will pay for their sins. And I can show you multiple TV channels this morning that will tell you, if you send this amount, or this amount, or this amount, your bank account will grow, you'll get a special prayer cloth, you'll get some special water from Israel that you pour on your wallet, and your wallet will grow. And brothers and sisters, every bit of that is a sin from Satan himself. Why? Because Paul died in a prison, John died exiled, Lottie Moon starved to death on a boat, and I'm guaranteeing you they're walking the streets of gold. So, so the reason, one of the reasons why we, we shy away from money is because the world, and even in the church, has corrupted it. But I want to tell you why we're going to talk about money. And here it is. I want you to look at me because I want you to know. I love you. I absolutely love you. And I want you to stand before Jesus and hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. And I want that to be the case for your marriage and your home and your speech and your attitude and also for your wallet. What a fool of a pastor I would be if I did not talk to you about what God says concerning your finances. I love you. I want to help you. This is not for personal gain. So this morning, let me help you by giving you a word of warning. Look with me at 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul is writing to his uh, apprentice and pastor Timothy. He's left him in Ephesus to pastor the church that they planted. And he's writing through him. You can read all of these chapters and he's given instruction. He's given wisdom. Watch out for this. Do this. Have this happen in the church. He's, he's downloading to Timothy God's word concerning the local congregation. And in chapter 6, he picks up this idea that there are some who will use the church for ill-gotten gain. They will use the teaching of Scripture or the Bible and they will twist it to the point where they will, they will sucker every person they can find and pull greed out of them. And so he says, watch out for those teachers. But then he says, watch out that your heart is not believing what they're saying. It's one thing to spot a false teacher. It's another thing to make sure we're not following what they're saying. So look with me at 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 3. If anyone reaches a different doctrine... And does not agree with sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and his teaching that accords with godliness. Verse 4. He is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil, suspiciousness, and consent, and excuse me, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. There it is, the first couple of verses. We won't spend a lot of time on these, but he basically says, watch out for those who's constantly trying to stir up trouble, sound like they're smart, work in a thing, uh, start a promotion, right? And order to twist the people and start division so that they can find a way to get money and gain out of them, right? And so they're using it as a weapon. They're using the Bible and Scripture as a weapon. Now, here's where we'll find ourselves this morning, verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into the temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. 
For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving, and some have wandered away from the faith and are pierced themselves with many pongs. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we ask us now, we ask you now, Father, help us. Help us see the, the warning from Scripture. Help us to understand that we are to have right doctrine and to live that doctrine out in the right way. That, Father, today we're going to do our best uh, by the power of your Spirit and the unchanging truth of your Word to know the truth, to know the doctrine, to see what you teach. But, God, we need you as we walk out of these doors today to implant this doctrine deep in our hearts, in the, in the soil of our soul, so that we may live differently. Lord, I'm thankful that you don't leave any topic unturned, that you, you don't leave any topic uh, left to us to figure out, that you have spoken clearly concerning this. So, Lord, help us. I, I pray this morning, Father, for the one who's sitting here and already Satan is beginning to work in their heart and work in their mind. Pride is beginning to puff them up and and, and already they think, well, well, this is not for me. I'm financially stable. I'm not in debt. I tie. This, this sermon is for someone else. Lord, I pray you would, you would remove that pride from their heart even now. Lord, I pray for the one that's sitting here that says, I'm, I'm swimming in debt. I don't have two nickels to rub together. This sermon's not for me. I, I don't even have enough money to follow God with it. Lord, I, I pray you'd remove that selfishness from their heart. God, I pray for the one that even now is... Is, is twisting and worried that this sermon will end up on their toes and, and mess with their, their way of living. Lord, I pray you would just, just strip us from all of these distractions that, that our flesh and Satan are now currently trying to, that we are in the midst even now of spiritual war. God, may your word prevail. May your spirit proclaim to our hearts what we need to hear. And Lord, may we be different. Father, help us. Uh, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As Paul writes to Timothy, he's writing about the idea of the pursuit of things. In fact, you look there at verse 10. Verse 10 is kind of the summation or the thesis of the whole passage. It says, for the love of money is the root of many evils. The love of money is the root of many evils. That's his, that's his summary statement there. The pursuit of it is, is this problem, this thing. And, and here's what's interesting about the way Paul talks about this. He's dealing with it from a heart perspective, not a wallet perspective. You see, the idea of how we approach money has nothing to do with our bank records, our bank accounts, or how much we have or don't have. How we approach money has to do with our heart. It has to do with how we view the Lord and how we view the things of the Lord that he has given us. And so Paul sets this very clearly in verse 10 when he says the love of money, the pursuit of money, the making money into a God is where evil is found. Now notice now, let's go ahead and, and unload the argument. He doesn't say money is evil. Money is amoral. It's not good or bad by itself. It's what we do with it, right? And let's think about this. Music is not amoral. Our choir just sang to us a beautiful song about the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if they got up there and sang something from Ozzy Osbourne and Black Sabbath, we might get up and walk out, wouldn't we? Well, some of you'd start clapping and remember your teenage days. But the idea is, is that music is, is how we use it. Well, money is the same way. Money is a Moral. It has no moral fallacy in it or no moral good in it. It is how we use it. And so here's what Paul is doing. Paul says, Timothy, I want to give you a warning. 
Watch out for the traps. In fact, you'll see it there in verse 8, 9, and 10. Watch out for the snares and the traps and the problems that money or the desire of can cause in your life. You know, the number two cause of divorce in the United States is finances. It's finance. The first one is infidelity, but the second one is finances. That most people who mark down the reason why their marriage began to fall apart is stress over money. Now, we know as believers, those are uh, sociological statistics, and we would say it's not adultery and it's not money, it's sin. But the, the scientists tell us in surveys that money is the problem, that the society fractures over money. Think about your own life. How much stress do you have because of money? Issues, bills that need to be paid, things that have to be figured out, retirement's around the corner. Do I have enough to retire? Can I stop? What happens if this or that? There's this idea of security. We we know what the statistics say about society and money. And so the question is, is how is our heart prepared to deal with this issue? So he gives us a warning. And in this warning, he basically says, here's two ways, two ways you can guard against this. Here's the warning. Watch out. Beware. Tread slowly. So how do we guard ourselves from letting money become the desire of our heart? Truth number one, don't live for the temporal. Don't live for the temporal. This is an idea of a heart's perspective. Where do we put the perspective of our heart? Look at verse six with me. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can, take, we can take nothing or anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Now notice what he says. He's, he's talking about the idea of what's enough. What do you need? How, how, how do you know you have enough? And he says, as he's kind of thinking about maybe Job, Job says, naked I came into the world, naked I will return. The idea is is that you you didn't bring anything with you, and you won't take anything with you when you leave. You know the old adage, there's no U-Haul trailers behind hearses, right? You You don't haul it with you. You can't take it with you. In fact, let's dive into this for just a moment before we go back to the topic of money. Brothers and sisters, you know that when you stand before God, your bank account will not get you into heaven. Your 401k and the security that, even if you say, well, Lord, look how faithful I was to leave my children great security. That is not what admittance into heaven is based off of. Brothers and sisters, when you stand before Christ, you will bring nothing with you. Naked you came, naked you will go, you will stand stripped before him. And the only sure way to walk into the kingdom of God is not what you did with your finances, but if you came to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he begins with this idea of perspective. And he says in the text, contentment is godliness. Now let's think about that for a moment. What is he saying is the priority of our heart? He says the priority of your heart is seek the things that are eternal. Seek the things that will matter in the next life. Seek the things that will last forever. You ever thought about when you were a kid that one thing you wanted? For me, it was a bicycle. I remember when I upgraded to a mountain bike. And I ask, and I ask, and I ask. I wanted an 18-speed, roughed-wheeled, shocks on the front, bright lime green, huffy mountain bike, right? That's what I wanted. And I asked for it, and I asked for it. And I remember to this day, that Christmas morning, where I opened every present, and there was no bike in the living room. And then my parents smiled and said, hey, there's something behind that door. Oh, there was the bike. Oh, brothers and sisters, you don't know how good I was on that bike. 
I got that bike out and I jumped over ditches and ramps. I went through the woods. I went down trails. I skid every part of my body on the road on that bike. I love that bike. Can you ask me a question in your mind? Don't say it out loud. Corey, where is that bike? I have no earthly idea. I do not know. In fact, not long after that, I discovered this thing called motors, and I ain't trying to pedal nothing no more, right? And so the idea is, is that, that all of us do this. We, we all think about that next thing we want. And then we look back over our life and we realize it, it was temporal. In 10,000 years, it won't matter. It, it won't make a difference in the kingdom. So notice what Paul does. Look, look with me at the text. He says in verse 6, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, what does this word godliness mean? Well, godliness, if you look in verse 3, go back up there and you'll see what I mean. If anyone teaches a different doctrine that does not agree with sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what godliness is? Listening and following Jesus. That's exactly what he says. Godliness is listening to the words of Jesus and following Jesus. So, So what did Jesus say on this topic? Well, he tells us on this topic a lot of things. He, he tells us that we're to go after these things. But, but Jesus will tell us that the things should not be temporal, but eternal. Here's the glorious truth about seeking the things that are eternal. If godliness is seeking Christ, and those are the things that are eternal, if my priorities in life are seeking Christ, do you know what my priorities in life will get me? It will get me the prize of seeing Christ. Now think about it for just a moment. If I put all my effort behind godliness, then that will lead me into the kingdom of God where all of my work has been to see Christ, and now face to face I see him. But if I put all of my effort into the temporal, brothers and sisters, when I get to the end of that story, all of that will be burned away. It will be gone. You see what Paul is doing? He says, if you pursue godliness, you'll get what you're after the eternal Lord Jesus Christ. But if you pursue temporal gain, it won't go with you. It won't make it. Naked you came, naked you'll go. He's telling us about the idea of temporary and priority. G. Campbell Morgan writes it this way. He says, you, if you make your fortune on the earth, poor, sar, silly soul, you have made a fortune and stored it in a place you cannot hold it. Make your fortune, but store it where it will greet you in the dawning of the new morning. Isn't that good? It, you can't take it with you. And so the question is, what does Jesus say about this? Look with me at the screen. Let's go back to Jesus in the famous Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, 19 and 20. Probably the most famous passage Jesus gives us on this idea of treasure in our heart and finances and money. And he says, do not lay up for yourself treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Now, let us think about this for just a moment. He's talking about hoarding. He's talking about excess. He's talking about too much. Why do things rust? Because they don't get used. They sit in the corner. You got too many of them. It doesn't do any good. You you never touch it, so it rusts. Why do moths eat things? Because you store it in the back of your closet thinking, I'll wear that one day, and you never get around to wearing it because you don't need it because you got 14 others, and moths begin to eat it. And then notice what he says, where uh, they steal it. Now, I've never known too many people to rob from somebody that ain't got nothing. If you got something, somebody's going to rob you, right? The idea is that you got things piled up. In fact, in their day, we know this from the parable of Jesus telling us about the treasure in the field, that when people had too much, they would bury it in their field. And thieves would come through and dig up yards and find treasure. And so if you've got so much stuff that you're having to bury it in your yard, brother and sister, you got a problem. Show me where to go. I got a shovel, all right? 
The idea is, is that it's a, it's a problem. It's becoming excess. It's becoming too much. And so he tells us that this is pursuing the things that are temporal. Now notice how he does it. He says, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Timothy from the Apostle Paul is hearing this same advice. Do not go after that which is temporal. That which is temporal. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, don't let your happiness depend on something you may lose. Now, brothers and sisters, if I pursue godliness, that means I found Christ. And you know the truth of the scripture. We will never lose Christ, for he will never lose us. This is the beauty of the perspective. Don't focus on the temporal. Number two, he tells us in this passage, how do we guard ourselves from this idea of love of money? How do we guard ourselves from that? Well, first, we don't focus on the temporal. So we ask ourselves, is this what we're doing? Is what we're doing with our possessions, with our time, with our money, is it affecting the kingdom? Is it working towards the glory of God? Don't spend your life focusing on the here and now. But then number two, he says, don't long for treasure. Now I want you to notice what he does here because he elevates the conversation past just our wallets. He now moves into our hearts. Look at what he says in verse uh, 9. He says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation into snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through the cravings that some of you have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves. Now notice the words that he uses. Look at verse 9. He says in here, desire, right? He's talking about our heart. Verse 10, you love it. Verse 10 again, you crave for it. Those are worship words. Those are the words that the psalmist used for us to go after God. We are to crave the Lord. We are to desire the Lord. We are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And yet now what the Apostle Paul tells Timothy is, watch out that your heart has not moved God off of his throne and moved possessions and money and the temporal things into its place. You know with me that the first two commandments that the Lord gave the children of Israel on the mountain, the mountain with Moses, thou shalt have no other gods before me and no graven images. Now, oftentimes when we study this and we look at it, and just by way of commercial, later in this year, we're going to study the Ten Commandments together. But, but the idea here is, is that oftentimes when we think about that, we think about some polytheistic world where there's spirit houses and little gods on a Buddhist shelf. And we think about Aaron where he looks at Moses and says, Moses, a golden calf just jumped out of that fire. I had nothing to do with it. And they're worshiping these idols. And we think to ourselves, we would never do that. But brothers and sisters, notice what Paul tells Timothy. If your heart craves money, if your heart loves money, if it's the desire of your thinking, you found yourself just like the children of Israel and the devil in the desert bowing down to a golden calf. You began to worship. You began to move away from what God is to be in our life. You begin to long for the things that are temporary. Again, Jesus in Matthew 6, 21 and 24, where he finishes that conversation, he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters, for either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. One of the ways in which we tell people our priorities is simply this. There are usually kind of three areas of our life where when we get to the end, when you draw your last breath, this will be how people judge your priorities. The first one is your calendar. What was important to you on your calendar? What did you set aside and make a priority in your day-to-day -day life? What did you go after? The second one will certainly be your wallet. 
What did you do with your money? Where did you spend it? How did it control? How, how did you control it? Uh, what did you do with your funds? And the third one will be simply your relationships. And so the question I would lay before you this morning is simply this. Does your wallet reflect someone who's serving the Lord or worshiping an idol? Does your life wrap around this idea that you are craving God and not the things of this world? This is the idea of the text. John Calvin would write it this way. He would say, where, Richard's, where riches hold the dominion of the heart, God has lost his authority. He's moved off. He's gone away. Now look at verse 9 and 10 because I want to get soberingly true with you. Here is the problem. Look at verse 9. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. Greed traps us. It's a snare. The writer of Proverbs would say the righteous has enough to satisfy his appetite, but the belly of the wicked suffers won't. It's a snare. It's never enough. Greed tells us we always need more. Not only does greed trap us, but it plunges us into destruction and ruin. Look again at verse 9. Harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. How often our lives are destroyed by the pursuit of the things that are temporal. The things of this world. But I want you to see number 10 because this one's the one that we need to look soberly at. Listen to me now. Don't miss this. In verse 10 it says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith. The Apostle Paul tells Timothy that one of the ways in which we gauge salvation is how we view money. And if money is your priority, if money is your heart's desire, if money is your God, if money is your treasure, if money is your desire, if the things of this world and the temporal things are all that you think about, dream about, and pursue, then brothers and sisters, may I set in front of you the warning that Paul gave Timothy, maybe, just maybe, you're not even saved. Jesus himself would tell us that it's hard for a rich man to get into heaven like a miracle of a camel passing through the eye of the needle. He would tell Zacchaeus that when he gave his life to him, he must stop cheating people and give back the money and make right what is his fortune. He told the rich young ruler that if you want to follow me, sell everything you have. Why? Because he knew the rich young ruler had made it a God. Brothers and sisters, listen to me now. If money is your God, you're not walking with Christ. And if it's your God and you're not convicted over it, maybe you don't even know Christ. You see, why does Jesus speak so harshly about these things? Because he understood it would be the God of this world. It would be the God of this world. It would be the graven image that we would follow for the rest of our society. This is the picture that he puts in front of us, that it can move us away. Greed traps us. Our desire plunges us. And if we're not careful, our pursuit may damn us. We may find ourselves separated from God for all eternity. And so how do we do this? Here's what I'd like to do for just a moment. I, I want to close this way. There is a lady by the name of Dawn Wilson who writes sometimes for Crosswalk.com. She's part of uh, uh, Nancy Lee DeMoss's ministry, a very godly woman who writes. And, and recently she wrote 10 questions on how to determine if money is your God or how you're actually loving money too much. So, so here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to use this as our closing diagnostic tool. You might say to yourself, well, Pastor, you preached a really good sermon on money, but I don't have any, so this doesn't apply to me. Well, brothers and sisters, I think I've showed you that it's a hard thing. By the way, can I give you just one statistic? If you make more, if you make $25,000 a year or more, you're in the top 10% of the whole world. If you make $25,000 or more, you are in the top 10% of the world's finances. It's all about perspective. Most of the world lives on less than $1 a day. So let us not think for just a second that we are somehow in poverty living in this great nation. So here is what she says. I want you to read these with me and ponder them in your heart. Number one, you're obsessed with becoming rich. 
How do you know if money's taking root in your heart? How do you know if it's the desire of your heart? You're obsessed with becoming rich. You're concerned with wealth itself, the love of money, the building it up. It becomes all that you think about. When I reach this spot, when I get to this plateau, when I have this security, you're obsessed with wealth. Number two, you never have enough. You're always lacking something. If I could just get this, if I could just have that, you have a discontent spirit. You're always seeking something else. Father, I just pray now as we read the rest of these, you would examine our hearts. Number three, you're living beyond your means. This is a huge issue in our culture. Examine your checkbook, your credit card statements, your bank covers, and you discover that you are way, way, way in debt. Brothers and sisters, that is led because we seek the things we should not be spending our money on. We should not be going into that. The Proverbs tells us that we are slaves to the one who owns the debt. You live beyond your means. Number four, you're becoming a show-off. We used to call it keeping up with the Joneses. Now we call it putting it on Facebook. Whatever the new purse is, whatever the new golf club is, whatever the new Apple product that comes out, we have to get it right away. Whatever the new rifle that hits the shelf, we have to own one. My friend has a boat. I need a boat. They have a lake house. I need a lake house. They have a scarf. I need a scarf. They've got all 7,000 bottles of essential oil. I better buy them too. I'm meddling now, aren't I? We think it's the idea of keeping up with the Joneses, but brothers and sisters, you and I both know, and let's be very honest, society pressures us, man. We are pressured. Ooh, I like that. I need to get one of those. We're always after becoming a show-off. Number five, you're characterized by being greedy. You're just not generous. You know money's become an idol in your life if you're not generous, if you can't part from it, if you can't bless others, if you're too worried about your own, if you're trying to accumulate things and store them up in this life instead of thinking about the eternal. We're greedy. You might say, well, I'm not greedy. Can I let you in on something? Ask the people around you, see what they think. Are you generous? Number six, you've forgotten the source. We think that money is because we've worked hard, because we've earned it, because we've done it. Now, now brothers and sisters, let's be clear. The Bible tells us very, we are to work hard. We are to earn our money. We are to be able to give away. The, the Proverbs are clear on that. There's nothing in the Scripture about being lazy or having others provide for you if you're able to provide for yourself. But ultimately, we can come to the conclusion that I did this, I earned it, it's mine. And we forget that the Lord is our security. We forget that the Lord is over all things. We forget that the Lord is in charge. We forget that it could be gone tomorrow. So have we forgotten the source? Number seven, your loyalties are divided. This is simply the idea of having another God. You spend all of your time thinking about the dollar, the work, instead of thinking about the Lord. This one can get real personal and we can get diagnostic in it. And it would be simply this. If we were to follow you around for a day, if you were to follow me around for the day, would my conversation speak more about finances and material things or more about the kingdom of God in heaven or hell? See, if my priority is the king, then I'll begin to talk more about the king. If my priority is the temporal, 
then that will consume my heart. And Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. Number eight, you're tempted to sin. Money is so important to you that you'll cut corners. You fudge on your taxes. You overbill your customers. You round up your overtime. You're, you're cheating here and there and here and there just so you can get a few more nickels and a few more dimes. You put something for sale on Facebook knowing it ain't worth that at all. You're cheating. You're greedy. You're tempted to sin. Number nine, your life is starting to suffer. You're drowning because money has become your God. You're drowning in debt. You're drowning in the keeping up with the Joneses. You're drowning in sin. You're drowning in areas of your life. You're suffering with heart problems and stress. You're not sleeping. You're not eating. Why? Because money has become your God and you're not secure in Christ. And then finally, number 10, you're wondering if you need counsel. You know you need help, but you won't ask anybody. You know you need financial planning help. You know you need help from brothers and sisters to pray with you. You know you need accountability over your credit card. You know you need to get in that Dave Ramsey class that church offers over and over and over. You know you need help, but you won't ask anybody because you're prideful and you're selfish and you're drowning in your finances. Proverbs 12, 15 says, Fools don't see the need for advice, but wise people listen to and even pursue it. Brothers and sisters, don't be a fool. Can I close with this? One day you're going to stand in front of Jesus. And you have, through your faith in him as a Christian, declared him to be the Lord of your life. And so let us just ask the question, is he truly the Lord of your life? And does that include your wallet? Would you pray with me? Father, we have examined our heart before you this morning. It's a word of warning. And so God, I pray even now as we let those questions uh, wash over us if we use this diagnostic tool. Lord, help us. Lord, the great thing about the gospel and the good news and walking with you is right now we can confess our sins. You are just and true to forgive them, and we can change. Through the power of your Spirit, we can change. And so, Lord, I pray right now that you would guard us from pride because pride and Satan are going to tell us this is not for me. This is not my life. My life's okay. I'm put together. That sermon was for someone else. Oh, God, that we would lay our lives in front of you. I, I pray right now, Father, for the brother or sister in this room, no matter the age, that finds themselves deep in debt over dumb decisions. Lord, I pray that they would ask for help, that they would seek wise counsel, Lord, we have a, an army of people in this congregation that are really good at understanding these topics. Lord, I pray that they would seek out and say, I don't want to be a slave anymore to this idol of money. Lord, I pray for the one in here that's, that's debt-free, they've got good security and good cushion, and they're, they're working hard with their money. Lord, I pray that they would not make it a God, that they would be generous, that they would understand that it's temporal, that they would that they would never find their security in the things of this world. God, I pray for the one in the room. Their father just doesn't have much. And even sometimes meals are missed. 
Lord, I pray you'd remind them that you are good and that you love them. And that as the Apostle Paul said, we know how to abound and we know how to be brought low, but in all things, in all things, we can do it through Christ. 